Hello, climate designers. Thank you for being part of this community of designers taking on climate action. We are graphic designers, industrial designers, fashion designers, software designers, illustrators, interaction designers, architects, or any other kind of designer pushing for climate action in their work. You can learn more and join us at climatedesigners.org. This is brought to you by Sarah Harrison and Mark O'Brien of The Determined. Welcome. We're trying out a new format, so bear with us. We are simultaneously recording this and also live streaming it to Twitch. So if you want to see what we're talking about live and in real time, our new Twitch address is twitch.tv slash climate designers, all one word. Yeah, this is open to the public. Anybody who just happens to happen upon us could come in here. And I'm really curious to see if we get climate trolls, climate uh, deniers coming in here and saying you guys are stupid or something, and that'll be fun. How will we deal with that? Will we just ignore them and kick them out, or will we have a conversation and see if we can change their mind? I don't know. <laughs> to be seen. But yeah, if you um, want to come and join us the next time we do this, whenever that will be, it'll be at twitchtv.climate.com. And you can follow us to get a notification of when we go live. And that will enable you to give us feedback while we're while we're recording it. And you will have to log in to Twitch in order to be able to chat and um, interact with us. And that would be great if you did that. Otherwise, if you are just watching, listening, no problem. No need to log in. Mark, since this kind of came from you, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to change up our format and try something new. Right. Yeah. Over the last few months or so, I think really after the party program with the excitement after that ended and meeting more people, new people, and some of those people are actually now on our core team. It gave me a, a second burst of excitement and energy, but at the same time, I was like, what are we, what are we not doing yet? We're starting to build this foundation with climate designers with the help of amazing people. And then I was like, what's next? So I guess what I'm trying to do is carve out what's going on currently, but then thinking about the next step while others support that. And I started to think about some of the bigger topics that I've been talking to with, with friends and Rachel, my girlfriend, who's in the audience about these bigger, headier topics that I feel designers need to know. And some of that was in the party program. We talked about indigenous wisdom. We talked about environmental justice, systems thinking, things like that, but even leveling up more, talking about things like capitalism, talking about things like the human narrative that we've been unfortunately sold over the last hundred plus years, advertising and other factors and systems in place. And what does, how do we actually do transition to uh, a different economy? This renewable stuff is great and all, but just because we switched to hundred percent renewables tomorrow, we're still working with this gross and damaging economic system. And so like, all we're going to be doing is renewing the shit that is putting us in this mess. So I wanted to really start to think bigger about the, the topics that I feel we need to start talking about, especially at the intersection of design and climate. And some of you out there know me uh, pretty well and know that I have been listening to punk rock music since I was in middle school, and it really shaped me. I've written uh, a number of times about this on my blog, about how it instilled in me the idea of questioning authority, this idea of fighting for causes that you believe in, this whole DIY ethos. And so I still listen to that music today. It really does motivate me. And there's this really amazing, great band called War on Women out of Baltimore, Maryland. An amazing band. I've seen them live, I think, twice. And I'll see them later this year with Bad Religion. It'll be a fucking amazing show. And they released a new album just a few months ago called Wonderful Hell. 
and their uh, title track, Wonderful Hell, has um, some really beautiful lyrics in them. And it's a really great kind of sing-along song with your fist in the air and flicking everyone off. And uh, there's a, a, a phrase in there that I go back to. So I'm going to quote it now. There's got to be a better way than giving up and, and wallowing. Let's raise some wonderful, beautiful hell. And I don't know, I've just been having that spirit in me the last couple of months now. And so bringing all this up to Sarah and, and, and Rachel, I'm just, I felt like I wanted to speak up a little bit more and, and talk bigger. And that phrase, talk bigger, is something that Sarah and I have been using internally to talk about this next ele- elevation, evolution. Is that too much of a strong word, Sarah, with this podcast? Like just leveling <laughs> up the podcast. So anyway, that's the backstory of why we're wanting to, to do this, to prototype in a new way, and to think about some of the topics that we feel designers need to start thinking about. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it really made me think about, or I guess what's been on my mind. And when you brought this up to me, I merged it with what I've been thinking about, which is the last 50 years of environmental activism in which there has been accomplished major changes and, and major efficiencies and a lot of really good things, but we're still seeing the rate of change compared with the transformation still needed. It's just not enough. And we're running out of time to make big changes. And so for me, it's been, let's not keep saying the same thing that's been said, being said for 50 years. How can we change the narrative? What do we need to question to initiate deeper changes? And I came across this phrase, initiate deeper changes by asking deeper questions in one of the books that I'm reading right now. And so I think this is an opportunity for us to ask deeper questions and have bigger conversations and also to put it out there transparently, not polished. We don't have everything all figured out. It's just to have start having those conversations. I think one of our favorite climate scientists, who's also an educator, often tells people when they ask, what's the most important thing that I can do about climate change right now? And she always says, just start talking about it. So that's what we're doing. And even that is an interesting topic, like why people don't talk about it and what holds us back and why it's scary. And I think we can go for miles on that too. But we did put together a little presentation. One of the nice things about this new format is we're going to invite more of our senses into the conversation than we have previously with the podcast. So if you are a visual person, And if you're a designer, I'm going to guess that you probably are a visual person. You might want to watch on Twitch. And then I think afterwards, if we do our technology correctly, we'll have a recording that we can put on the YouTube so that we'll have some visuals to share, not only just our audio senses, but our visual senses as well. Of course, you can still listen to this on the podcast the regular way, but now you can also watch us live and engage in real time or watch us after the fact on uh, the recording. How often will we do this? We don't know yet. I think some of that is up to you. Is every Twitch session recorded? Yes. I have set it up so that everything will be recorded. And we could totally hang out here casually more often. I think one of the nice things about this format is we don't have to do as much prep work in advance. So Mm -hmm. we might be able to do some of this more often if it's helpful for you all, for the people in our community, for designers who want to make change on this planet so that we can keep living on it. I I like how you said that so nonchalantly. All you designers out there who just want to solve our economic and ecological breakdown, just hang out. Just hang out with us. 
Maybe we'll even play video games. All right, now let's move on. Now that you brought up the V word, we should move on. No, no video game talk on this thing. I won't be able to keep up with you. Yes. Okay, okay. So let's dive into the topic that we wanted to cover. The thing that we picked for our first topic is along the lines of flipping the narrative and not saying the same thing that we've been saying for the last 50 years. So one of the things that has always grated on Mark and me is when we hear the phrase, save the planet. And so let's just dive in on like why that's not the motivation or the message that we think we want to send. And of course, we're putting this out there to be a little bit provocative. Of course, we love this planet and want to keep living on it. But here's the thing. This planet has been through hell and back. It has been in the Haiti on Eon when it was first, I was going to say invented, but created. The earth was 446 degrees Fahrenheit. That seems really exact, by the way. I say this because there's no roof to how hot it can get. And when it was that hot, the surface was completely molten, melted and toxic, and there was no life on it. And the atmosphere was full of carbon dioxide. There was no oxygen. It was just a completely different place. And for those of you who are um, listening and don't have the visuals, we will describe the visuals to you. So for this one, we have found artists' interpretation of what the Hadeon Eon might have looked like. And you see a lot of lava, big fireball, explosions, lightning flashing all over the place and volcanic eruptions. It looks like some comets and meteors hitting it because we probably didn't have a magnetic shield at that point yet. Not an awesome place to be. This image reminds me of Lord of the Rings and this would be a good time for me to insert a Lord of the Rings joke, but I don't know Lord of the Rings. So (laughs) I was totally (laughs) expecting you to have one. I've seen like the first movie or two. I don't know. Cool story. I know. Thanks. All right. So then the next slide after this planet has been through hell, it's also frozen over many times for millions of years. So we've had many ice ages. In the past 2.4 billion years, we've had, I think, five. And the temperatures of the entire planet, I don't know, like snowball earth is one of the phrases that they've used. Really super cold. We're already seeing a comment from Kat. She says, you changed my own perspective on this terminology, Sarah. I don't use saving the planet anymore as a result. Thank you. Lindsay says, my cynical partner loves to fatalistically point out that the planet will be fine. There just won't be people anymore. (laughs) Exactly. It's, yeah. Just the point is that this planet, like as a planet, it's been through a hell of a lot more than what we're putting it through right now. It's a little bit hubristic to think that we need to save it, but this comes with a but. So let's go to the next slide. Oh, wait, I forgot to describe it for our audio listeners. It's a picture of the Earth as a frozen snowball. And then there's also a chart of the ice ages during the past 2.4 billion years. So you can see how the temperature has oscillated up and down a little bit or a lot of it. So in the next slide, we have another chart and it's a chart that shows the evolution of humans over the last 1 million years. And below that, it shows the temperature of the earth. And what's really interesting about this to me is that you can see that temperature is going up and down over the last 1 million years because we've been oscillating between what scientists call the glacial periods of the ice age and then the interglacial where everything thaws and gets warm. And that's because of the orbit of the earth and things that are way too complicated for me to understand. 
But what's really striking to me about this graph is over the last million years, there's several different variations on the human species put out there by evolution to see which one will <laughs> survive. And at the top of the graph is a zoomed in factor of that 1 million time scale. And so we can see in you know, each of those short little intergalatials, it's highlighted in green in those short spans of time where the earth was not completely frozen. It just so happens that in the last one is when all of human civilization has occurred. So the zoomed in slice at the very, very right side of the graph of the last 1 million years of earth's history is it contains the invention of agriculture, organized agriculture and animal husbandry. It contains building cities. It contains the building of the pyramids, which actually only happened, what, like four or five, four or 5,000 years ago. When you start looking at it on the scale earth, we're just a little blip. We're just teeny tiny little blip. So the thing that I want us to think about is human civilization has only ever experienced a tiny range of Earth's changes in climate. So for that entire 10,000 years, the climate has been so stable. And in fact, because the climate has been so stable, it has enabled human society to create agricultural and city-based civilization. Before that, when it was too dang cold or when it was in the process of warming or cooling, crazily, humans lived like everybody else on this planet and traveling around to the pockets of the planet that were habitable, habitable to try and survive and find food when the rest of the planet's frozen, all that stuff. So it was just, I don't know, like just happened to warm up enough and then stay that way for long enough for us to do all the things that are part of our entire written history and everything that we know. Yes. So this one is a slide. It's a chart again, but it's only the last 20,000 years. And again, it shows the global temperature. So it shows it rising to that point from the last ice age, from the last glacial period to that stable temperature that we have enjoyed for the last 10,000 years. And you can see that stable temperature staying about the same for 10,000 years, including to the point where the Great Pyramids were built. It's actually starting to trend towards a little cooler. And from what I've read that most scientists agree that we would be on the track towards another ice age actually. And then the industrial revolution happens and the temperature goes way up, completely breaking the pattern that we, we Earth has experienced for billions of years with our carbon dioxide emissions. So now, and the other thing that it says on this chart is we're at this point where we can choose, all bets are off, the pattern is disrupted. And we're at this point where we can choose to bring the temperature back down, or if we do nothing and we just keep doing what we're doing, the temperature has the potential to go way above anything that this planet has seen for, I think, three or four billion years. And that means that all of the life that has evolved on this planet along with us over the last three, four billion years, we're all more adapted to this cold, to relatively mild, somewhat warm, that range of temperatures. And so that baseline 
of stability is what scientists use to measure the rate of change or the amount of change. When you hear things like 1.5 degrees Celsius or two degrees Celsius above pre-industrial averages, that baseline is what they're talking about. So I just say on the text here on the slide, since the industrial revolution, we've built cities and technology based on an assumed stable climate while releasing enough carbon dioxide and methane into the atmosphere to force a rapidly heating climate. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, preaching in the choir. So next slide, what that means is our civilization has not been designed for the climate we're creating. It, it, that's another way of saying the, the problem, stating the problem. So this is a picture of one of the streetcar power cables in Portland. It melted, which shut down train service during the heat wave that they had a few days ago, a week ago or whatever. That's just an example of one of the many failures in infrastructure that we're starting to see as temperatures rise way above that range that we've enjoyed for the last 10,000 years. Yeah. And to just add this quick little comment about uh, the latest news here in the U.S. about this infrastructure bill and trying to to, to squeeze some climate change stuff in there as opposed to calling it out specifically. But, you know, my question about that, and of course I need to do more research, been a little busy lately, but with that infrastructure bill, where's that money going? Are we rebuilding from the ground up? Are we putting band-aids on existing infrastructure? Cause we're not taking this as serious as we need to. What's the money being used for? How's it being allocated? Who says, who has a, a say in where that money goes? Yeah, I, I just want to, the last couple of slides, we could have easily have made a whole podcast episode on that previous chart, the chart before that. So this is really exciting to see how things are starting to, to connect with one another. Yeah. And Rachel in the chat shouted out Green New Deal. And absolutely, I think the Green New Deal has come under a lot of criticism because it's very wide, widespread and expensive. And the reason it is so widespread and expensive is because climate touches everything and it's this infrastructure that we've been built on and it's trying to put new infrastructure in place that supports life so yeah it's it has to be wide wide sweeping broad and yes it's going to be expensive is it even exactly what we need these are big questions that people are asking that I've been catching here and there. So Rachel says, yeah. yes, more representatives are getting on board. I'm just overjoyed that finally we have a government in place that's taking climate seriously. Absolutely refreshing step in the right direction. But yeah, it's frustrating when we understand the scope of what needs to change and how quickly we need to change it. So that's definitely one of the things that we hope to talk about during this new format of our podcast. Yeah, because it's slow moving. So next slide, I think is more um, preaching to the choir, but you all know this, we have to redesign our way of life to cooperate and evolve with the natural world we live in, or we join the 99.9% .9 of species that have gone extinct on this planet. And for those of you just listening along, there is a photo here of some really nice, interesting looking renderings of some of the species that have come and gone before. Oh gosh, it's too small for me to read, but some really cool looking, no longer with us animals. And I should note that when we join, if we join the 99.9% .9 of species that have gone extinct on this planet, we will take everything else on this planet with us. 
because we are at the top of the food chain and that's just pretty shitty. Yeah, it's not as if the humans will just disappear and everything else will stay. It's that we're taking everything down. It's like we're falling and we're just grabbing it to <laughs> catch our fall and it's all coming down. I do want to focus on that first half of this. I, I really was thinking about this reading it earlier. I think, how do we get to that point? How do we reconnect with nature and all the living species that make up our world, right? It wasn't too long ago that we were connected to nature. We were connected. We were working on the lands. We were using it in more productive, regenerative ways. It was just really about the last two, 300 years with the rise of of capitalism and the industrial revolution and all that, that we started to really step back and see nature in a very different way where we saw it for us as opposed to a part of us. And although with our current global economic system in place, it makes it very easy to separate ourselves because we are now living in these buildings. We are now driving, you know, two-ton vehicles. We're now doing all these different things that for many millennia with our ancestors never had to do. And so it's crazy to me how we're, we're not so far into this, into like that previous chart, Sarah, we're not so far in the grand scheme of things and our existence as a species, but wow, like how quick did we freaking forget everything? Yes, we have our primal, primal instincts. We still have those primal instincts, but beyond that, it's convenience, it's comfort. I get it. I much prefer to sleep on a soft bed as opposed to a hard ground or whatever in the elements and trying to run away from a mastodon who's trying to eat me. Like... <laughs> I like my life as is. I think there's been a lot of great innovations and, and advancements as the species, but holy shit, man, we're, we're too smart for our own good. God damn, we can, not to say I'm, a, I'm into the space travel stuff, that's another podcast, but like the fact that we can build machines to put people up there and, and bring them down safely, the fact that we can cure diseases, the fact that we can connect billions of people using these glass and plastic and metal that we have in our hands every day. Like we can do some cool fucking shit, but hello, how do we get back to how we used to live and be in harmony with one another and everything on it, on the planet? So anyway, another topic. Lindsay says so smart and yet really dumb at the same time. <laughs> that's exactly right. So that's what we hope to untangle in this new format, I think. And I'm really happy that Kelly picked up on the cooperate and evolve phrase in that. So what I'm, I guess what we're getting at here is instead of, like I said earlier, that phrase, save the planet, that really just grated on me. And then Mark's like, yeah, me too. And so we're like, okay, how do we rephrase that? Or what is it that we actually are trying to do? Because I think looking at this as humans saving the planet, it just continues to reinforce that idea that we are separate from all of it. And superior. Just <laughs> you said a few minutes ago that the reason why everything's going to go down when we go down is because we're on the top of the food chain. Why should we be at the top of the food chain? So how do we realign our place in this you know, living ecosystem so that yeah. we don't act as if it's all for us, but that we are contributing to this whole system and keeping that balance from ever, from, from never tilting off balance. Correct. Not separate. And in fact, I think we need to maybe rethink the idea of a food chain. It's not really a chain and we're not uh -huh. on the top of it, even though I did say that it's a system and we're part of it and we need to mm -hmm. figure out how to make our part of it matter to the system and add value to the system and help the system thrive or that system's going to reset. It's going to collapse 
and it's going to start over without us. Sarah, if, if you haven't been paying attention, we've been living in this global pandemic for the last year and a half. I think we jolted nature. I think it, it took it, we pushed it enough to where it gave us a, a big, not even an earthquake, but a fucking planet quake. This was like, a, hey y'all, this isn't cool. Here's what you get for fucking shit up. What the beginning of that collapse looks like. We are so, living it. So can this be what we're currently experiencing this global pandemic and i'm not trying to belittle this whole thing it's really shitty and i can't every so often man i can't believe i'm living through a pandemic isn't that crazy we all are obviously but yeah i i really hope that this is a a shock in the system and this is if we don't reel things in this is nothing exactly this is a this is the appetizer the beginning so yeah Let's go ahead and go to the next slide because I don't want to dwell too much on how shitty everything is, even with a global pandemic and all of the heat waves and the wildfires and the floods and everything that is going on right now all over the globe. I still want to be able to say that this moment in time presents a unique opportunity, especially for people like us, designers, strategists, planners, people who can look at systems for what they are and plan something new. I I believe it was Washington State Governor Jay Inslee who said we are the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. And that's just a brilliantly worded way to say it because this decade right now, the next 10 years, we are at that absolute last. There's a sign on the road, there's a fork in the road, and there's a sign that says last exit. We are right there. And I guess all of the previous exit signs, if we're going to keep with that analogy, when we saw those, we being the grand we of humanity, as we saw each of those, you could take this exit and you could implement this policy and have a slow, gradual transition. We were like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait it out. I don't really have to pee that bad. I'm going to see if there's another rest stop coming up. And now we're finally in the thick of it, we're, we're feeling the effects. You gotta piss. Now we, we really, really have to pee. Like yeah. we cannot hold it any longer. <laughs> so in a way, feeling the effects and having the horrific tragedies that are happening with the fires and the pandemic and the disease and the floods and the heat waves, must I go on? The feeling of those, the jolt that is giving us is also a catalyst for change. So I have no doubt that this next decade is not going to be business as usual. There's no option to just keep going the way that we have. Like We're either going to piss our pants or we're going to get off at this exit, find a clean bathroom and have a more graceful exit. How's that? Did I I drive that analogy home? A clean bathroom only. You have to go into a Whole Foods or something. So yes, let's get into the not doom and gloom, but the doom and bloom portion of our segment this evening. So according to... The experts in many of the books that Mark and I have been reading and articles and PDFs and everything out there, there is still a chance. And every time I talk about this, I imagine Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber talking to his crush and she's like, the chances of me ever dating you are like a million to one. And he's, so you're saying I have a chance. Classic. (laughs) Kind of where we're at right now, but we still have a chance. We can still transform our civilization ending our reliance on fossil fuels, transitioning to renewable energy, but we have to make it a massive, fast, fair, just, equitable transition. All of the things in a very short amount of time. How do we do that? How the heck do we do that? 
So some of the things that I have on the slide here for those of the people listening at home, one of them is the Rewiring America field manual. It's a short, readable, straightforward little PDF that you can download for free from the Rewiring America website written by Saul Griffith. He went through and he crunched all the numbers for the US and he details exactly what needs to be done to transition off of fossil fuels in the next, I think 10 or 15 years, he puts it at. And he, he knows how much it's gonna cost and he knows what policies need to be put in place. And it's awesome. And I highly recommend reading it. The other one that we have on there is Less is More, like Mark mentioned earlier, one that we are reading has a long section on things that we need to rethink about our world and things that we need to implement as solutions or new ways of working. I included the upcycle in here from the authors of Cradle to Cradle. This is embracing circular design and regenerative design and how to redesign our products and our processes so that they are like we said, cooperating and evolving with nature. And I have yet to read this, but it's on my list, Climate, A New Story by Charles Eisenstein. Mark says it's good. That's what I got. There's so many There's... books and experts out there talking about the solutions. This is just a short sampling of some of the things that have been top of mind lately. Yeah, I'm wanting to acknowledge too that a lot of the books here, actually all the books here, you know, are written by cis white men and who are we not listening to? Yep. Who are we not reading? Who are we not paying attention to? And so we're one of the many things that we're trying to do with climate designers is to create resources that really do help our members and having a book list and other resources out there for you all is something that we want to do. But yeah, please share with us others as well. I know there's definitely women and indigenous uh, authors out there. Dr. Anita Sanchez joined us during the party program, and she has some great writing talking about indigenous wisdom and in the 21st century. And but yeah, let us know. What are you reading? What are you watching? We're all ears and we'll add it to our resources. Yes. Kat mentioned All We Can Save, another mm -hmm. one on my list that is mostly women. It's short essays by women. All We Could Save, Truth, Courage, and Solutions for the Climate Crisis by Ayana Elizabeth Johnson and Catherine K. Wilkinson. Yeah, on my list too. We just need to have reading days. It's another topic. Okay, back to the charts and graphs for a second. This is what we're looking at. For those of you at home, I'll describe it in a second. If we succeed over the next 10 years in doing what we need to do, we can bring global temperatures back down in the next 20 to 30 years and avoid complete catastrophic climate breakdown. So there's a sort of a little small snippet of a graph from the on-roads simulator. I know Kat in the audience is taking their online training, which I'm super excited to hear more about. In this simulator, you can go in and tweak a bunch of levers. So you can see, can I basically, can I bring temperatures back down by simply adding a carbon tax? Can I bring temperatures back down by simply planting more trees? Can I bring temperatures back down through a bunch of other things? They have a bunch of other levers. And what you can see from all of that is if we do absolutely nothing, what we're looking at is a rise in temperature and I'm not that interested in the year 2100. I do plan to be alive through 2050 but I doubt I will make it to 2100. I would be over 120 years old at that point. So I 
doubt I'm going to make it that far. So I don't care about 2100. I knew I do care, but it's just harder for me to wrap my brain around that. And so I look at this as like the next 20 to 30 years, what can we expect? So if we do nothing right now, we're at 1.2 degrees above that baseline of stability that we've enjoyed for the last 10,000 years, one degree Celsius. It doesn't sound like very much, but that's global average. And so it takes a lot to heat up the earth. We're at 1.2 right now. And the way that I had it described to me that really made it home to me is every 10th of a degree is enormous weather changes and disruptions and climate patterns. So all the things that we were talking about earlier with the heat waves and the pandemic and the floods and the wildfires, that's at 1.2 degrees of warming. And so 1.3 is going to be even more of that, more of the same. 1.4 is going to be even more of that, more of the same. And so in this graph, you can see that if we do absolutely everything we can, we're still going to go up a little over the next 10 to 20 years, I think if I'm reading it, but we are working really hard to cap it at 1.5 and not go any higher because the entire planet really hasn't seen temperatures of over two degrees in more than three or 4 billion years, like I said, we don't exactly know what will happen, but what we do know is all the things that are currently happening today will keep happening and will happen even more so every 10th of a degree that we go up. So I don't want to see it go higher than 1.2. 1.2 is not acceptable. 1.2 is where we are now and where we are now is not okay. So I don't want to hear about two degrees. I don't want to talk about 2100. I want to talk about what we can do to bring the temperatures down right now. And the fact of the matter is the climate system moves slowly. It's a big freaking planet. And we're going to have to put in a whole lot of hard work and a whole lot of effort over the next decade to get real change in our system by 2030. And check back with me in 2030, because if policies and stuff haven't changed and things haven't been put in place, I'm going to be talking about adaptation and resilience and how to move forward in a very chaotic world. But I don't want to have that conversation right now because we still have a chance, right? Yeah. There's a chart that I saved. I took a screenshot. It was on Twitter. It was from last summer, 2020, summer of 2020. And every summer is the hottest summer. I had a chart, 10 year chart a line graph and it had the average temperature per summer was getting higher and higher. And the headline was of course, 2020 hottest year on record in the last decade. And then the woman who posted it was like, or if you look at it this way, 2020, the, the coldest summer in the, in the next decade, it's like what you're saying, one-tenth of a degree can totally, yeah, it's just, this is not going away anytime soon. I left San Francisco in October, November of 2019. And I remember walking outside on nice sunny days. I think I said this to you a few times when we would go have lunch, I'd be like, oh, it's so nice out. This is the last of the nice days. A little cynical, I know, but this is the new normal. Exactly. Kat, this, like when we hear about temperature breaking records or the hottest temperature ever recorded, blah, blah, blah. This is the new normal. This is the new baseline for at least the next 10 years. And like I said, then I hope to see the temperatures coming back down if we do a lot of work and we do it well. So let's talk about what needs to get done. Oh, for the viewers who are not viewers, the listeners at home, I forgot to say that slide. Also had a Rosie the Riveter, we can do it from World War II because visual 
propaganda and imagery can go a long way. And that's where we come in as designers sometimes. Okay, so the next slide is about what stands in our way. Why aren't we moving forward? And I think the biggest thing that stands in our way right now is we need the political and societal will to make the necessary changes. So there's a picture here of a few different things in Unearthed, which is a publication online by Greenpeace, I believe. Is that right? My brain is full of holes like Swiss cheese. But Unearthed just unearthed very fiery <laughs> accusatory report where some of their journalists dressed up as lobbyists or fuel investors or something and had meetings with the fossil fuel executives or lobbyists. I'm sorry, I don't have the details right in front of me. But anyway, they went undercover and they had some conversations and got these Exxon executives, fossil fuel executives to blatantly say that they covered up and denied valid climate science and delayed climate action and they knew it. And that they're currently, as always, have been working against any big change. Yeah. Look into it, folks. I just type in, I think the Guardian was the one that broke it, if I'm not mistaken. And then it got picked up by all these other blogs, of course. But yeah, just type in Exxon headhunters. Yeah, they were headhunters. I watched the video and it was so fucking infuriating. Just ha hearing this guy talk as if this was just part of the part of the job. NBD. So yeah, yeah, they have been clearly actively working in our government as lobbyists to prevent change. And they have a lot of money and they fund a lot of our politicians. So there's political will to do what they want. And when there's 50 something percent of the voting population does not agree with the other 50 something percent, it is really hard to get the politicians to do anything. It's going to stand still. So we need to build the political and societal will, tell our politicians and representatives that what we're currently experiencing is not okay. One of the other images that I have on the slide is um, some leaked marketing materials from BP. One of them says in the headline, obtaining a social license to operate, a challenge for the industry. This idea of a social license to operate is something that they are clearly aware of. So like they know that it needs to be socially acceptable to burn fossil fuels for them to have a viable, that's what that means. The one on the top, bottom, lower right is um, another leaked marketing material from, I believe also BP, although it looks like the colors of Exxon or Shell. Anyway, it says, how do we regenerate this generation's view of oil and gas? So many things about that headline make me laugh. They did a poll of US consumers and young people about to join the workforce. And they are basically presenting this as a huge recruiting challenge, which I think is awesome. Oil and gas companies are going to, they know this and they've made nice looking marketing materials talking about it. They are going to run into a challenge recruiting workers from this generation, the young generation. And I'm like, hell yeah, because they're gross. They're gross. Who wants to work there? They're gross. And because yeah. our younger generation has principles and has their eyes open and knows what's going on. And we've been talking about this for years, Sarah. I remember us having more conversations walking in between lunch and stuff at a co-working space about how hard it is for these companies that are damaging the planet, not just fossil fuel, but any other companies and within any other industry, how hard it is 
for them to find young talent because younger people are becoming more and more aware of this issue. And so what happens to these large companies? Are they going to offer more money, more perks, benefits, all that stuff? And if not, they can't find anyone, they're just going to crumble. Or do they shift into something more productive? Do they reinvent themselves? I don't know. Like it's going to be interesting to watch. A lot of these companies that are destroying this planet in many different ways are the majority of them are behemoths. They've been around for many decades. And so are they just going to completely shift everything? I don't know. Rachel picked up on the fact that they used the word regenerate. That's another one of the things that makes me laugh so much about this headline. They're already starting to try to shift their image. Mm -hmm by co-opting the language of the young people and the things that they care about. I just don't think the copywriter looked up the definition of regenerate. Absolutely. 100% positive that they used that word. Oh, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Of course they did. Of course they did. They're probably trolling Sunrise Movement and... That's why they use black and yellow. You're right. Seriously. They're making the shit look cool to attract these young people. Yeah. Yeah, man. They're stalking these organizations. They want to... I don't... I wouldn't be surprised if there's a handful of influencers that are being paid by these folks. Yeah. You know? Totally is. The... A little bit off topic, not on the top of recruiting, but the PR and ad campaigns by the fossil fuel industry recently, they have been using social media. They have been paying social media influencers. They're all over that stuff. They are very good at obtaining that social license to operate through our media channels. They've been doing it for decades. Oh, they are experts. Yeah. And so that like seeing them shift thing that you talked about, they are absolutely promoting that they're shifting. And Mm -hmm. they talk about it like they're shifting and they might spend 80 to 90% of their PR and marketing on talking about how much they're shifting Mm -hmm. to renewables and research Mm -hmm. and development into stuff. But when you look at how much of their actual operating money they're spending, it does not correlate with how much of the PR they're talking about it. Totally. Yeah. And there's definitely proof out there that supports that. Yeah. Jeez. So I wanted to bring up this and and we're just about wrapping up with the presentation, y'all, just to let you know. One quick thing, and and I I think we'll get more into this in future podcasts. For me, it's when I read stuff like this and when Sarah and I have these types of conversations, my mind always goes to why does it have to be where all the onus is on us as individuals, just living our normal lives in a system that that has been designed by these people to get what they want and leave us with crumbles, right? Like, why are we not fucking going upstream, pounding on these companies' doors, raising fucking hell to get them to actually change or to take them down? Like, it's in front of us, everyone. Hello? Like, where's the outrage? Where's the... I'm just... So this is, so I won't get more into it because I know we have other things and we want to wrap up the presentation, but this is the thing that really gets me out of this whole climate conversation is that one thing and how do we address that as designers i don't know it's a that one thing being where is the why are we not realizing the bigger picture and the real enemy here why are we not taking on these larger companies and questioning our economic systems why are we not demanding that much change like i know to bring the tote bag i know to walk more and drive less whatever don't talk to me about not using another fucking straw like i want to go after the these guys like that's the stuff why where's the pissed offness in in everyone about this like it's all in front of us so that's what i'm talking about but again we'll get more into it a bit later i know we're about wrapping up here 
Yep. No, anyway. absolutely. I think that is what we're trying to do here is figure out, I guess we can go to the next slide because it's getting to that call to action. Like how do we remove the societal license to operate from these people and, and get what is causing the most harm? So the next slide is talking about what are the necessary changes and this is not a complete list. There's a list on here that describes some of the most immediate practical policy-driven things. Most of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is from the Rewiring America Handbook. Some of it is from Less is More, but I'll read it really quickly for those that are just listening. A managed and fair and just transition from fossil fuels to renewables the end of fossil fuel subsidies. It's ridiculous to me that our tax dollars are still subsidizing fossil fuels. Like what? No new permits for fossil fuels? We're still starting new fossil fuel drilling and exploration projects. In 2021, the year of our Lord, whatever. And Biden as our president. You are seeing a lot of pledges for net zero by 2050. We need to be talking about real zero by 2030. <laughs> 2031. A part of that is government loans to improve housing. So in Rewiring America, Saul Griffith talks a lot about how the government has in the past, there's a precedent for this, giving low interest loans to homeowners to rebuild the infrastructure of the home to get off the grid, whether, whether it's solar panels or replacing the furnace or getting a new stove or whatever you need to do, that can be government assisted. The end of planned obsolescence. So in the design of our devices, they're not designed to be repaired, they're designed to be replaced, and that is very intensive of our resources, and it doesn't make much sense. Giving land back to Indigenous people. The rapid buildup of renewable energy infrastructure, that is something that we are going to need government policy and funding to, you know, Biden's whole campaign for election was on this, the creation of millions of new clean jobs. We need to stop cutting down our trees in the Amazon and other places. We need to end deforestation. It is just compounding the problem. It doesn't make any sense. We need solar panels on every roof. We need to electrify all of our industries so that then that electricity can be run by renewable energy. So anything that runs on liquid fuel or coal or even wood pellets natural gas is still gas, and we need to subsidize regenerative agriculture. That's already happening, at least in California. It needs to be happening a whole lot more where the government is funding farmers to adopt climate-friendly agriculture policies that reduce carbon dioxide emissions and take it out of the air instead of the opposite. So that's just a, a short list of things off the top of my head. Yeah, and I want to make a note that all of these are very practical and we need to do these things. Right. And this is where designers can come in, where we can support those companies, those initiatives, those projects, solutions to make sure they are so successful that they are doing their part to bring our temperature down. Like going back to some of those charts, like we need all designers within all these different industries to really step up and, and make sure that they give everything they got so that these companies and these new industries can be the most successful. But again, though, building all of this on a capitalistic system just doesn't make sense. And so what's missing from the, this list is the idea of degrowth, 
the idea of coming up with a new economic system. Again, as human beings, I listed a few things minutes ago about us being so creative. We could put people in space. We can cure diseases. We can come up with a new economic system. Like, I think the thing that we always forget is that cap capitalism is only 500 years old. It hasn't always been around. There's been other economic systems, some better, a lot better actually. And why not revisit some of those or come up with new ones? I have a lot of friends in the Bay Area that are in, in the new econ economic space. Like they're coming up with what we could be living under. And I think what's missing from this list and in this larger conversation that I'm excited to talk more about is this idea of degrowth, right? I'm not going to, maybe I should get a bit more anarchist. I've been holding my voice back for many years. Some shit needs to be said. And as Sarah mentioned at the start of the, some things might rub people the wrong way, but I don't know. And not to say that we know the answers, not to say that what comes out of our mouths is, is right, but it's something, right? And one other thing that's also missing from this list as well is the idea of who are we as a species? I feel like we need to take this time, maybe even during COVID, I would hope, to rewrite our human narrative. Like, how are we showing up on this planet? How are we showing up as a species that is much more advanced than a lot of other species? That's a gift. What a gift that we have, that we are from all these millions and billions of combinations that just so happen to happen over fucking millions of years has developed us in our lives right now and all the amazing things that we have in front of us. What a beautiful gift. And so I think what we need to really start to do also is really rewrite our human narrative to get away from this idea of individualistic mindsets and my mind and the American dream and climbing the corporate ladder or whatever, and start to think about where we should really put our values, valuing purpose, a sense of community, valuing ourselves. And I want to bring up a few comments from I Heart Rachel. She's been as always, dropping mad knowledge. She mentioned a few minutes ago, this is why we need to destroy capitalism, cons consumerism, and be more collective and community focused in our ways. Definitely. Exactly. Everyone works too much to be outraged. So going back to my comment about why are we not fucking pounding on these doors? Yeah, you're right. Like people by design, right? Yeah. People are being worked to death so that they can't do anything but work a second job, a third job, just to put you know food on the table. And so it's a distraction. And I feel like this also goes into what I think it's BP that created the carbon footprint shit, yeah, right? Yeah. That is a distraction people. I don't, Hey, if you're in the carbon footprint app industry, go for it. I support you. I'm not interested in that, honestly, as a person. I Yes, I care about the impact I have on the planet, my carbon footprint, totally. I try to be mindful of how I live and all that stuff. Check, check, all the boxes checked off. But again, that was put out by an organization, by a company purposely to distract you from the shit that they're doing, putting the onus on us. And for me, that's fucking bullshit. That is, uh, that and these is are, designed. they know exactly what, what they're doing. But again, though, I want to go back to my thought and we can finish up, but I really do feel like outside of the practical stuff, outside of capitalism, all that stuff, I feel there's also just as much work, if not more work on how we need to view ourselves, not only within ourselves, with each other and within this planet. And I feel like we can do all this stuff. We can switch to the renewables. We can do all the things that would keep us in a bit more of a 
in a somewhat thriving world, even though things are going to look bad for a while. But what's the next fuck up that we're going to create as human beings if we don't focus <laughs> on ourselves? So I don't know. So again, another topic for, for later, but just something that I've also been thinking about lately. Yeah. Kelly from Boston said, most can't see the big picture. P.S. That's also by design. We are educated to not be able to see the big picture and that's on purpose. Oh, and don't get me started on why do you think alcohol is legal? Why do you think some of these drugs and foods that suppress us are abundant? Big Pharma, they are, they are profiting off of our sickness and they're profiting, dumbing down us so that we don't see that big picture. So again, a whole nother topic that I think about often, we'll talk about it later, but it's all been by design. I'm seeing a lot of people saying, again, the chat, clearly we have a lot to talk about. Yeah. as we keep going. And as we're wrapping up, we're just over an hour. So thank you all for sticking around. Didn't really know how long we were going to go. And maybe this is a good time to wrap up because we plan on, on talking about this stuff often. We're not trying most of us and we're all about optimism and positivity and all that lovey-dovey stuff. So we're not trying to make this into the opposite of that, the doom and gloom stuff. At times we do need to talk about this stuff though. Like we need to have that real talk. And so we're going to weave both of both the optimistic stuff and the real shit that is the stuff that we need to be addressing because that's the stuff that's making the doom and gloom. <laughs> so we can't just think about sunshine and rainbows all fucking day. Like we need to also talk about our current and previous actions and, and things like that so that we can acknowledge that stuff and recognize it and learn from those mistakes and then apply it or maybe not apply it in the present moment and into the future. Yeah. So I think just to wrap it all up, in one shiny bow for this talk today. We'll end it on the next slide, which is instead of talking about how we humans need to come into the rescue and save the planet, let's focus our energy as creatives, as designers, when we're putting messages out into the world about this, the task right in front of us is to remove the biggest block to make the biggest change that we need to make in the time that we wanna make it. And so that is, let's focus on directing all our creativity towards uniting society's will. So however that looks to you. As creatives, we might make campaigns, we might make slogans, we might make posters, we might make t-shirts, we might make products with brands, with messages that are promoting an image of an ideal world that we're all building. Let's try and do everything that we do for the purpose of getting everybody on the same page. Uh, and that's building up to a rapid and fair and just full-scale transition to a zero carbon, clean, renewable energy. And there's a lot more that needs to be done, but if we can get everybody going, if we can figure out what it is, it's not save the planet. I don't think it's, there is no planet B, although that one's really cute. I like it. All the things that have been said already, I don't know that they're working. I don't see it. So we keep, we need to keep experimenting. We need to keep trying and we need to figure out what's the thing that's going to get everybody on the same page because we are definitely not united. We are bickering within each other's groups and against each other. And we need to be sending a united message and get us all on the same page for the work that needs to be done in the amount of time that needs to get done. It's very urgent and it's very important that we all start doing this in this decade. Yes. All right. That's a wrap. Thanks everyone. Bye. Hey y'all. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out climatedesigners.org to sign up for email updates 
And while you're there, you can check out other stuff. You can create a profile page highlighting your climate-related work, or you can seek out climate jobs and other resources to boost your climate design career. Or for design educators, find resources to bring climate action into your classroom. Yeah, join the conversation on social media with a hashtag I am a climate designer or hashtag climate designers, all one word. It's